0: Uh, we're in the book of Hebrews. We're going through this. This is a book that is written to um, Hebrew believers and Hebrews who are struggling with belief. Maybe they haven't believed yet. And so it's, it is very much, when you read it, it's very much like a court case. I mean, he is just laying out the evidence. The, the author's laying out the evidence and saying, here's something, this is important. And what he does with so much of the evidence is he quotes the Old Testament because that's their Bible. And they would be totally familiar with that, and it would, it would click with them. They would understand it. And so he is, uh, he's making this case, and I'm going to read to you the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 2, all right? Chapter 2, 1 through 4. If you have your Bible, you can follow along on your phone or your, your Bible, or, or you can just listen because I'm going to read it. Here we go. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And so the author now is continuing. He just finished, you know, what we would call chapter one, he put forth his case that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And he starts, and this is going to run through the whole book. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is better. It's going to be a continuing theme. And in the first chapter, it was Jesus is better than angels. And we talked about why is that a big deal to them? Well, because they held angels very high. Their their worldview, and, and rightly so, was there's God. And then, right below God is the angels. They're the highest beings imaginable other than God. And so, he makes, uh, he makes this argument that Jesus is better than angels. And, and what he does then is he makes the argument that Jesus is God, because only God can be better than the angels. And so, he is to be worshiped, and he uses proofs for that. And now, since he is better, He's going to speak to us. He spoke to them. He's going to speak to us about his message is key. The message of salvation that he brought to us is supreme. Nothing else comes close to the message of salvation. And this passage has aspects to it. Part of it's an exhortation. Part of it's a warning. And 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 uh, in life, you know, we're not big fans of warnings and exhortations. If you think about it, what is that? That's when someone is telling you that you are wrong and what you need to do to correct it, right? And generally, we're not thrilled to hear that kind of news from people because sometimes it always, you know how it always starts. Listen, man, I love you, but you're like, oh, as soon as the butt's in there, yeah, I know what's coming. And, we're, and, and we don't... You should do this when people tell us that. Or if you don't do this, you will regret it. No one likes that. You know, we tend to, uh, we can react a little negatively. We tend to push back. It's natural for us. It's natural for us. And, and some people, I've bumped into them occasionally, they're recreational critiquers. They just love it. They love to point that stuff out. And I'm not going to mention any names. No, just kidding. That wasn't even kiddable. Um, but I've never met someone who's a recreational critiquee, right? I've never met someone that is like, thank you. Please tell me more. Are there other areas I need to work on? Could you make a list? Just give me a list. Give me bullet points to tell me how bad I am. See? So oftentimes we react negatively, but also Oftentimes, deep down inside, after time, we realize that it's true. We come around, and we realize we need to work on it, right? And, and, and this, I, I struggle with this. Everyone struggles with this. My, my, my wife is very good at this. She's very gracious. She'll gently lead me into what she feels like needs to be said, and then she'll realize he's going to be a dork for a little bit, and then he'll come around. And, and generally, I do. And generally, hopefully, I do. She might be shaking her head no now. I'm not going to look. But the reason why we react is because by nature, it is saying there is something lacking in you. When someone exhorts you or corrects you or critiques you, what they're saying is there's something lacking in you. Right? Like if someone gives you a book for Christmas, how to be a better friend. Hmm. You know? Somebody gives me that, I'm like, I don't need to read this. I have it memorized. You know, I wrote it. A while back, my doctor, um, he sat me down, and he said, "Uh, Mr. Mosley, you need to make some changes. I was like, oh. He says, no, look, you're in good health, but you need to make some changes. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) He said, you need to change your eating habits. And he looked at me, he said, Mr. Mosley, you're obese. And I was like, what? Are you kidding? I said, are you kidding me? I mean, I have people all the time that say, you magnificent hunk of manhood, like that, to, to me. And and he said, you got to make changes. He said, I know it's not easy. And see, here's the worst part, is that he has struggled too, and he had gotten he's done really well on changing his diet and so he says it can be done Uh, right and so I see that but I don't like that it's hard I you know I don't know I'm trying to start to eat more fruits and vegetables I'm trying to cut back in other areas but I don't know about you but for me it's right at nine o'clock when the bell starts tolling and the ghost of potato chips past shows up And starts sweetly whispering my name, Babe. You need crunch right now, Babe. You need salt, Babe. You need grease, and I'm like, I do. Yes, I will go to the. You know, it's hard. The, The the struggle is real. So here we are. We got an exhortation where someone is telling us, This is something you need to do. And we have a natural inclination to push back a little bit, a natural inclination to say, "Uh," and the difference though is this is God who's telling us. And the good thing about that is we can know for sure that he wants what's best for us. There is no hidden motives in his exhortations there's, there's no little background of anger about something else in his exhortations. He loves us dearly. He wants what's best for us. He wants us to be the person he created us to be. And so he exhorts us. And so I want you to see first the exhortation, the one we're talking about. And it is verse one. We must pay... We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Now, in there is the therefore, and I mentioned that last week when we were talking about it. When you see a therefore, figure out what it's there for because it's building on something. He's saying, in light of everything I said in chapter 1, Jesus is better. He's higher than the angels. The angels were commanded to worship him he is God. He laid that all out with using Old Testament scriptures. And he says, now, as you see that, this now becomes so much more important. And so he says, therefore, and I love this because the author says, we. He doesn't say you. You. You know, sometimes if somebody wants to talk to you about something, to exhort you, to, to maybe critique, and they start off by saying, look, I struggle with this. This is really hard for me. And I sense that it's hard for you. You get the feeling of, okay, we're sharing this. You're not up on, you know, this is why sometimes I, 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 I'd love to say, stand down on the floor, because I'm up on a platform looking down on you. And I don't like that feeling sometimes, because it's not this great oh wise one, looking down on the peons who need to hear what I have to say. As much as I wish it was that, it is not that, right? And, and even, in fact, that that altered the way for me, in some ways, the way I parented. Oftentimes with my kids, I'd get down on one knee so that we were face-to-face, so they didn't have to look up at me as I, as we dealt with an issue or whatever it was. I wanted to be face-to-face with them. And that just, here we go, rabbit trail, that just leads me into... You know, there's scriptures in the Old Testament where it talks about when we are praying, we are face to face with God. Think of that. God's up in heaven. The cherubim and seraphim are singing and playing. There's music going on. All this stuff is going on. And I start praying and God goes, oh, wait, sorry, everybody. My son, my son, Bob, my son, Bobby wants to talk to me. And God goes, what is it? What is it? And I can pour my heart out to him because he gets face to face with us. That's the God we have. And so he says, we, we're all in this together. We must pay the most careful attention. We have heard so that we do not drift away. He's including himself. He says, I'm in the same boat with you guys. This is for all believers, he's saying. This is for all of us. And look, I know, sometimes I will say something, and you know, this is the thing about being up a little bit up on a platform, but all teachers, all teachers, I'm sorry, it's about, school's about to start, teacher. For all teachers, you know how this is, you see what everyone's doing, right? You see the notes being passed. You see the notes being scribbled. You see the kid trying to sneak his phone out and he can look at it, right? Up here, sometimes when I'm speaking, I see the nudges, like that. I see the side eyes. I, and even if it's not that, even if it's this, and we've all done this, okay? We've all done this. We've all gone, man, I really hope she's listening to this because this is what she needs, right? We, 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 we've all done. Okay, so here's what this author is saying. He's saying no nudges, no side eyes. We all are in this boat, all of us, need this, okay? So, as we're sitting here, don't hope that someone else is listening, all right? You listen, because that could be a great way of distracting yourself from actually listening by looking at someone else and trying to get their attention to listen. So, he says, I want us to pay most careful attention. This is two great words in the Greek, and the English authors are trying to, to, to get across the power of these words. The word attention is a strong word, even on its own self. It's this idea of, of a fixation. It's almost the idea, it has this idea of, of an obsession, and it is a fixation or an obsession that leads to action. You have to react to it. You can't just let it go. It's too much. It's too important, and if you pay close attention, that's what is happening. There is a response that has to happen, and then what the author does is he adds a modifier to strengthen the word, as if you know, fixation or obsession is not enough, he adds a word that has this idea of extraordinary. One scholar I was reading said, you could translate this furiously obsessed. He says, I want, I want, I want you to put something first and foremost in your life, and I want you to act upon it. You have to act upon it if it's true. And what is it? He says, we've heard it. What is it we've heard? And he tells me, it's this message. It's the message of salvation. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this shows us something. It shows us the Christian life is a process. Now, we talk about that here all the time, but I want you to see, this is why we we talk about it. It's this process over a lifetime. You can't just say, well, I just accepted Jesus as my savior. All good. I can do whatever I want now because everything is hunky-dory with me and God. No, he's saying, this has to be an ongoing process for the rest of your life. Accepting Christ as your savior is just the beginning. It starts the process. And he says, this is incredibly important that you fix on this, you focus on this. Why the third we? So that we don't drift. We don't drift. That's a, that's a, a, a nautical term. Uh, it's, it's the idea of failing to keep a ship on a proper heading or the failure to adequately secure a ship so that it drifts away. And, and it's this idea of heading aimlessly, with no clear goals. This happens a lot to people in life. We all can fall into this. That's why the author says we. We all can drift. When I was a, a kid, I grew up in a military family, moved all the time, and my dad had a tour of duty in, uh, in Florida, um, at Eglin Air Force Base in Florida, and we had a sailboat, and we'd go out in the Choctahatchee Bay, it was a big bay, uh, there and uh, we would sail. And, and as I was getting a little bigger, you know, I would say, I want to steer the boat. I want to do it, dad. Let me steer the boat. And so he did. And uh, so we're going along and I'm just loving it. You know, I'm just got that tiller in my hand and it's a fair sized boat and we're just cruising along and dolphins will come and swim with you. It's just looking at the dolphins and everything. I'm like, I'm the captain of my ship. I want to go stand on the front and go, I love you, you know. And so all of a sudden, my dad goes, Hey, 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 Bobby, where are we going? And I said, We're going to the tip of Destin. And he said, Where's the boat pointed? And I'm like, That way. He goes, Why don't you point the bow of the boat at where we're going? Seems simple, huh? And I was like, Dad, it's so hard though, because I pointed at it, and then the wind blows, and it moves. And then we get going, and maybe there's a current or something, and it moves, and it's hard. And he goes, okay, it is kind of hard. What you have to do is focus and keep working at it. Don't lose your focus. And this is drifting. This is what drifting is. It's very subtle. It's not a big thing. But you're headed this way, and suddenly you're just a little off. But one of the things my dad said to me is, when we get there, if you keep going in this direction, we're two miles from Destin. And he said, then you'll have to get out and walk there. And I was like, oh, I I think being on, maybe being on course is a little better. It's a little better, right? And so this this is what's going on here. He's telling them there's this thing called spiritual drifting where we take our eyes off Jesus and the wind and the currents push us off course. They pull us away from where we should be, sometimes very subtly and sometimes, many times, very slowly. We just start edging away. But then after a while, we're miles off course. You know, in James chapter 1, we studied the book of James a a few years ago. In James chapter 1, James outlines how sin works. He outlines it in steps on how sin works. And, and he says, it starts off, he says, when we're drawn away and enticed by our own lust, by our own desires. And he, and he, he uses these words. The, the, the word drawn away, um, there were times uh, when Roman soldiers, uh, they would be on guard duty or, or maybe they would be policing, policing, policing a neighborhood. And what would happen is, it's almost like, you know, when sometimes parents would go, I'm going to count down at 3 2 1. They would begin to unsheath their sword a little bit at a time. But the idea was don't make me pull it out. And so it was their way of subtly telling the people around them, maybe the Jews or whatever country they occupied, okay, you're getting closer to a problem. And when the sword is unsheathed, what's going to happen? there's going to be a problem. There might be a death, right? And so James says here, he says that that, that what what happens is we are drawn away. Slowly, 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 death comes. And he uses another word. He says, and and we are enticed. We look at it and we go, "I, I want that. That's... In a very small way, that's potato chips at nine o'clock at night for me. I'm a savory person, not a sweet person. Ice cream is not as I, I'm like I'm so good, I'm not eating ice cream. I'm stuffing potato chips in my mouth, right? And those potato chips, I I can sit. I'm sitting in the living room and I'm just thinking, I would like a little crunch. I would like a little salt. I do need <laughs> need. I do want a little grease, right? And then. You know how that goes. I'm only going to eat a few, right? And my wife will say, if you're going to eat a few, take them out and put the bag back. No, I'll keep it by me, my precious, right? And that's that's, that's what happens. And so what happened, I think that's that's what I want. That's what I want. And what I want short-term overrules what I know is best for me long-term. And that, James is saying, there you go. That's sin in your life. It could be... Terrible things sometimes, horrible things, and you have decided the long term effects. I don't care, this is what I want right now. Many relationships have been destroyed in that thought process, many people have endured incredible pain because of that process. That thought process, and so. And James says, you're drawn away, you're enticed. And he and then James goes right into right into a, 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 a metaphor. He says, and then when sin is conceived, he says, there's a conception. Now you're pregnant. And he says, and then what is the result? A baby. You got a little baby, little death baby. <laughs> oh, that's such a terrible thing to say. I don't know why I said that. I'm sorry. But he gives us this this incredible metaphor to show the process. He says, when you're being drawn away, it might not be a horrible thing. When you're being enticed, it might not be a terrible, terrible thing. But it's pulling you, it's pulling you, it's pulling you. It's getting you a little off course. And then at some point, there's a conception. The deed is done. And now you've got the sword has been pulled, and now death is in is is in front of us in, in as many different ways you want to imagine that spiritual death, physical death, emotional death, just terrible things. Life like it was not meant to be lived. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you've gone, how did I get to this point? How did I get here? How did that happen? Let me tell you, James tells us here, the writer of Hebrews is telling you, it's a series of decisions, oftentimes small decisions and you're not far off, and you're not far off, and you're a little further off, and you're a little further off, and all of a sudden you're miles out of out the wrong way. And you go, how did I get to this place? That's how it happened. That's how it can happen. He's going to talk about this more as he continues the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. He's going to, he's going to bring up this concept of we have to hold fast, and he uses words for that that are very, very powerful graphic words in chapter 13 he's going to talk about not being pulled away and he's going to talk about that and is this telling us what is the way what is the way to not drift what is the answer it's very practical direct your attention to the gospel focus on the gospel of jesus christ our culture is telling us that we need to soften the message of the bible and the goal for many, many who uh, articulate this is that what will happen is, and, and I was reading the other day, a guy who said this, he says, I'm looking for the day we'll have world peace when all, reli- all religions are equal. They're just all the same. And everybody's just good with that. And can I tell you, that is just a pipe dream. That's not gonna happen. And the guy who wrote this, he was saying, when everybody realizes no religion is better than the other and no one has ex- in- exclusive claims on, on the truth, But that will never work, that will never bring peace. Because what is that person saying? He's saying, I have the exclusive claim on the truth. It's me, I have it, why am I gonna trust him? It won't work, it won't bring peace, it'll never bring moral living. You know, it's interesting uh, reading a biography. Um, Martin Luther King understood this. When he led marches and went into the south and confronted racism and injustice on the part of white Christians, what did he tell them? Did he say you you people need to stop being so Christian because Christianity is wrong? No. Did he say you need to stop being so exclusively Christian and understand that everything is relative, we're all on equal ground? No. Did he say you need to ignore parts of your Bible so that we can get along? No. What did he say? He said you need to be more Christian that's your problem. You're not being Christian enough. You need to take your whole Bible more seriously. You don't take it seriously enough. You need to go deeper. Essentially, he's saying, if you look at Jesus and focus on the heart of the gospel, then you will start to love people who are different than you. He told them you need to be more Christian, not less. You're missing it. And taking the word of God and and the words of Jesus seriously will lead to love. It will lead to people who serve selflessly. All of us, all of us, because he says we, if we go deeper and focus intently on Jesus and his words, it will change us. It has to. God promises that it will. And this is incredibly practical, this is easy to understand to focus more, to look more, to, fo- to get deeper into what Jesus did for me, what Jesus said, and how that applies to my life. It will change you. It will change me. And that is practical. That's what we need. And when we work it in, he starts working over and over. We sing that song, he never stops. He never stops working because that's what he wants to do. So the first thing we see is this exhortation. Now I want you to see the warning. This is in uh, verse two and part of verse three. He says, for since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Now he's using a rhetorical tool that he uses a lot and it's used in other parts of the Bible. It's going from the lesser to the greater, It's this tool of going lesser to greater. If the lesser is true, then the greater is even more true. If the lesser is authoritative, then the greater is more authoritative. And so he's using this. uh, He uses it in chapter 10, too, when he talks about um, the law of Moses. He says, if it takes two or three witnesses, the testimony of two or three witnesses, to to bring common condemnation in the law of Moses, how much more now with the message of Jesus, which over supersedes which is greater than. The Jews made a big deal of angels. They made a big deal of angels being involved in the law at Mount Sinai. It's mentioned a number of times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So when you start talking about thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt love the neighbor, no coveting, no greed, no materialism, that, that's, that, that's, they're like, this is, this is the word of angels. This is, this is what angels brought to us as, I should say, not the word of angels, this is the word of God and angels brought it to us as God's messenger. That's how they looked at it. Now, when you read it in your Old Testament, it looks like God just speaks it directly to Moses. But they had this whole system where they believed the angels were a big part of that. And so when he says, the message spoken through angels was binding, they know he's talking about the law. And he's saying, he's saying the law's not bad. If you neglect the law, there's consequences. He says, but how much more if you neglect the word brought by Jesus? And that word neglect or that word ignore, it's different places it's translated in a different way, is this idea of allowing something to become mundane. The truth has lost its impact. There's no, there's no, there's no change in your life, or there's not even a desire to change in your life. You just don't care. And So what happens? Being a Christian just becomes another, I'm a, there's a number of things about me that are true. Du, 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 nah, I'm a Christian too, blah, 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 blah. And it just is kind of shunted off to the side. And he says, that's what, that's what people are doing. That's what we're in danger of doing. That's what happens when we drift. And so the writer here is warning us, and God is warning us, don't live this way. It leads to a bad end, because we have a danger that we deal with as human beings. We tend to run to other things to save us. We tend to run to other things to deliver us, to bring us joy, or contentment, or comfort. We look at other things to bring rest to our soul. We put, we put our trust in them. And we say, this is my salvation. I can't do without it. And when we look for salvation in other things, and it could be so many things, relationships, success, drugs, stuff, education, looks, money, on and on and on, they will always let us down. They're not a good God. They will always let us down. And I know What happens here oftentimes, if I talk about something like this, people say, Bob, are you saying I'm not saved? Is that what you're saying? And I, no, I am not saying that. I can't make that judgment, and I'm glad I can't make that judgment. But, it's like one time confronting one of my kids about lying. And I said, honey, and I can tell you which one it is. (laughs) I desperately want to though. I say, honey, I love you too much. I love you too much to let this slide. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't care. But I love you. We've got to deal with this. And she was like, but daddy, do you think I would lie to you? And do I say, oh, no, of course not, my little angel. No, I didn't say that. I said, are you kidding me? Of course you would lie to me. We all can struggle with lying. Look at your mom. She lies all the time. No, <laughs> that's, not, that's not here. I, didn't, I, said, uh, I said, of course, we can all struggle with that. That's why I have to confront you about this, because I love you, because here's the deal. And I, and I got down on one knee and I explained. I said, we have a relationship. But lying, lying puts something up there. Lying makes the relationship more difficult. I don't want this difficulty with you. So you need to tell me the truth. You need to tell me the truth because then we're fine. And I told her, I told her, I said, look, this doesn't mean I don't love you. No, I'll always love you. That has nothing to do with it. But our relation right now has been, has been, you've made it difficult To have a relationship means we have to deal with lying. And love means we have to. This is God with us. He says, look, I'm warning you. I'm warning you. There is this message that has been spoken. It came through angels and it was binding. But now there's a greater one. How much more? If we neglect, let slide this great salvation that we have. And I want to tell you, with God, it is all about relationship. Relationship. That's why he tells us in 1 John, I know you're going to sin. Confess it. Let's deal with it. So the relationship is wide open. Don't put up walls. Don't hide behind walls. So there's an exhortation. There's a warning. And now I want you to see there's a responsibility. This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And this this writer, writer now is kind of working out, explaining how God worked out this great salvation. He's saying it's announced by Jesus. It's confirmed by those who heard him. God did powerful things, and the Spirit gave gifts to believers. Why? For service. And so that reminds us that we are an integral part of this process. We are to be his messengers. We are to be his ambassadors who speak for him in different places. And with this admonition, this is kind of an admonition, you can't go around and say, I'm a Christian, and have no interest in living like a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, you're an ambassador for Christ. What happens to an ambassador if they go to another country, and then they just start giving their opinion on everything instead of speaking for the President of the United States? they get called back, right? They, they're not doing it right. And he's saying, You're, you got to do it. You got to do it. You are my ambassador. And so if Jesus is the word of God made flesh and we are his followers, if we live in a way that contradicts the word, we are demeaning the word. This is, this is what taking the Lord's name in vain is all about. It, it's, it's not, I mean, cursing is just too simple. It's about living in a way that shows his words are not at work in my life. You know, um, I wanted to say this too. About two weeks ago, I talked about uh, the idea that there's no intimacy in a relationship without finalities. And what I meant there was you will find if you're going to have an intimate relationship with a person, occasionally they will cross your will. Occasionally they will state things that, you know, and you, that, that you disagree with, or occasionally you will just realize there's things about, these are things about this person. If I am going to truly love this person, there's some things I'm just going to have to accept. They're finalities. And uh, there, there, there can be compromise. There can be uh, give and take, but some things just aren't negotiable. Some things we just have to accept about the other person to get greater intimacy. And I, I mentioned that God has non-negotiables. And we have to adapt to those non-negotiables. And I mentioned some verses that touched on it. And this is kind of touching on this. But I also know, because the first thing I think of, so I'm sure some of you have thought of this, oh, really? So God has his non-negotiables. So do I get any non-negotiables because I'm in a relationship with God? Do I get non-negotiables that God has to adapt to? Yes. Yes, you do. Let's name your biggest non-negotiable. You're a sinner. That's my biggest non-negotiable. And what did God do? He adapted to that in creating this salvation. The only way for God, a holy God, to relate to us was to adapt and become a human being. And he was born. He gave up his glory. He became a weak human being. He went to the cross, and then he really adjusted. He endured silence from his father, something he had never experienced in eternity. He endured silence. The son experienced cosmic solitary confinement. He took what we deserved so that we could have that relationship. He adapted to something we could not change. When he asked us to surrender to him, when he asked us to follow his word, when we ask, he asked us to accept his will, to adjust to his finalities, it's because he's already adjusted to ours. He did that First. He did that first. Why? Because he wants a relationship with us. So we need to focus on what he did for us. We need to focus on his grace. We need to focus on his love for us and his love for the whole world, and that's what brings change in our lives. That's how we change. There's tons of application there. A couple other things I think about. One is uh, there. This may be a good time to stop. Maybe today, all by yourself, and go. How am I doing? what's going on? Am I off course? Where, where, where am I supposed to be headed? And where am I headed? Take a little time to think. And and look, if you go, oh my goodness, I'm way off course. I'm doing terrible. God says, okay. First John chapter one, confess it to me. Turn, start going the right way. Do that. And let's start, let's go. The relationship will be working great that way. The other thing I think about, too, is pick a person in your sphere of influence, maybe somebody you know, a family member, a, a neighbor, a coworker and just say, "I'm going to pray for that person for a month. I'm just going to pray for that person for a month." Maybe that person's not a Christian. I'm going to pray that God will give me an opportunity to maybe share a little bit with that person. But here's the thing: maybe God won't. Maybe God will use somebody else. That's OK. I mean, the, the goal is we want people to come to know Jesus. It's not that I would be a person who does it more than anyone else. It's I want people to come to know Jesus. So pick a person, pray for them. Put their name, you know, put their, no, yeah. It's a coworker and they're like, why is your name, why was my name on your computer screen? I don't know. (laughs) You know, think, think about it, but pick a name. Maybe take a little time and think about what it means to be an ambassador, a representative of Jesus Christ. And then think about how you may be gifted. What could you do? What, what could you be doing to further the kingdom of God right now? I mean, it could be anything from holding little babies to working with teenagers to, to, to getting involved in Bible studies to getting involved in, in Bible studies at work. I, this, it doesn't matter. But what could you do? What could you do to further the kingdom of God? This is what he's trying to get us through. Now, as we look at these first four, the rest of the chapter, he's going to get deep into this, and he's going to push us He's going to give us a shove and say, think, think, focus. And so we will continue that next week. And, you know, it's really, one really cool thing about my job is that I can promise you that what we're going to look at next week will be life-changing. I can promise you that because it's the Word of God. It's nothing about me. It's all about the Word of God. What we looked at today, this is life-changing stuff. This will change you as you focus And you start thinking, what did Jesus do for me? me. Now, what can I do? How should I live? And it'll change you. And the great thing is, it changes you from inside out. It doesn't make you wear different clothes, cut your hair different, do this, do that, whatever. It changes you from the inside out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is true and that it comes from a good God who loves us, so that even in a moment of exhortation, even in a moment when we could struggle some with maybe uh, feeling guilty about where we're at and what we're doing, it's only because you love us. And as we confess, as we move, repent and move, you go, the relationship is where it should be. So Father, help us to desire that most of all, that we would be close to you. And in doing that, you change us from the inside out. Lord, it starts It starts with a relationship, asking Christ to be our Savior, and then the relationship grows and blossoms over the years. Help us to want that desperately. In Jesus' name, amen.